Holy Spirit, we just come and move upon us now in Jesus' name. Open our ears, open our hearts to receive more from you. Surprise us, Lord, with your truths. Amen. Hallelujah. How do I start? <laughs> I had great difficulty in where to start on this. Um, I'm talking about circumcision today. Um, and uh, we see that there was a need for circumcision because on the day of Pen- on, after the day of Pentecost, when Stephen spoke, which is about six months after that time, he said, you are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears and you resist the Holy Ghost just as your fathers did. So he was saying that even though they were religious and did all the right things, there was something radically wrong with them. They needed circumcision. Something happened to happen. And he could have been quoting from Deuteronomy 10.16 where he says, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. They knew their scriptures. They knew where he was quoting from. And there are quite a few other places where he talks about being stiff-necked and being uncircumcised. In fact, in Jeremiah, he actually tells them, he said, the whole house of Israel, he said, is uncircumcised. And you think, well, hang on, they were circumcised, they should have been. But he's not talking about physical circumcision, he was talking about the condition of their hearts. And this is what he said in the end, he said, the heart is deceitful, and this is a very well-known verse, and most evangelical Christians, that's one of the first things they will say, you have a heart that is deceitful and is, above all things, desperately wicked. And we see this as, we, as people's restrictions of what they say and do becomes less and less, especially in the Parliament at the moment, we can see what people are really like. They're completely selfish, they're desperately wicked, they only want their own way. They couldn't care less about what people want, they're really only after what they want. And, it, and we can see it, everybody can see how awful it is. But, they are ju- and, but we should never be surprised because they're just sinners. Most of them are just sinners. And we shouldn't be surprised. We should not be surprised. Because that's just the way sinners are. And so there has to be something that happens. And if we look, look in, um, in Deuteronomy 30, we'll start here ver- first. In Deuteronomy 30, God gives a promise. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. I won't be turning to all my verses because it will take too long, so I'll probably just read some of them out. You talk about the Lord will bring them into the land uh, and multiply you above all your fathers. And the Lord God, in verses verse, verse 6, will circumcise thy heart, the heart of thy seed, to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that thou might live. That is the promise of God. He said, I will circumcise your heart so that you love me. What an incredible thing to say. 
after all the awful things that they'd been doing. How, how awful and wicked they were in, in, the, in the time when he's speaking here. These, these people in the wilderness, they were, weak, they were awful, really. They were very rebellious. And yet, even though they'd seen God on the mount and heard his voice, they, they had, the problem was that they weren't changed, wasn't it? They weren't changed. They had to have something happen. So God says, I, one day, I'm going to do this. I'm going to circumcise your heart so that you love me with all of it. Now, you hear a lot of ideas about when people give out an appeal, give your heart to Jesus. Well, that's not really scriptural. There's nowhere in scripture where it says we should give our hearts to Jesus, everyone. He says you should repent. Because God says, I want to kill you off. Not just give you, take, you, don't we just give your heart to me like in a love relationship. But no, it's more than that. He says, I, I want to change your heart. Change you. That's what he said. I'm going to do that. I'm going to circumcise your heart. He says in, in, in Ezekiel 11, we know all these verses, they're wonderful, some of the fantastic promises. He said, I will, I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out the stony heart and I will give you a heart of flesh. One that can respond to me. Wow. Isn't that incredible? You see, let's, the stony hearts, like their, it was like their um, gods they worshipped. They're graven images. There was nothing. They didn't do anything for them. Didn't, they just stood there and had to be served. But when you get just like a, a, a person, unregenerate person's heart, they have to serve their heart. Don't they? They serve it, just like they do a graven image. They serve it. And they ha- they ha- they don't, the graven image doesn't do anything for them, but they have to serve it. And so it is with a person who is unregenerate, they have to serve their heart. Because it's, they are, that's, all, that's their nature. They end up serving their heart. And that's the way it is. They can't do anything. They might try by doing and trying to change their thinking, but they can't change the inside. All the stuff you see of mindfulness and meditation and all these new things, well, they're not really new, they're just rehashings of old stuff, don't change the person. They change the circumstances and the way you look at your circumstances, but they don't change you. Don't change the fountain in the heart. We hear the, there's the same, it's repeated in Ezekiel 36, 26, exactly the same prophecy is given there. So, what is this circumcision? Now, there is what is called the, um, the law of first mention when you're doing Bible studies. And the first time it's mentioned is usually the most important time. So, circumcision is mentioned in, in uh, Genesis 17. And we'll be going backwards and forwards to this passage because it shows us an enormous amount about circumcision and what it does and what it's about. So we're going to read this passage. It's uh, just a few verses. We don't have to read the whole lot. Uh, We'll start at uh, chapter 17, verse 9. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant. Therefore thou, thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant, which you, you shall keep between me and you, and thy seed after thee. Every man, child among you, shall be circumcised. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant between me and you. 
And then it goes on to say about after eight days old, everybody, and that's what happened to Jesus, remember? After eight days, he was circumcised. And every man-child, everybody born in the house, everybody bought with money, any stranger who was not of the seed, and anybody who was born in the house, he that is bought with money, they must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the, circumcised, and the uncircumcised child whose flesh of his scorn is foreskin is not circumcised, that shall, soul shall be cut off from his people, he hath broken my covenant. Now, that's first mention of circumcision in the Bible. So we, can, we have to see now what is going on here. So what we'll start with is we'll look at the word seal as token. Let's look at, let's go over into Paul, it starts explaining this in Romans 4 chapter 11. So you'll need to put a marker in your Genesis 17 and let's go over into Romans chapter 4. And he explains what was going on here. It's always good to have somebody who explains things to you. Now he's talking about faith and righteousness and the law. And he's saying beforehand, when was it that, that Abraham believed? It was before he was circumcised. And so, so in verse 10, how was, how was it reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? No, not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. He received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of them that believe. Hallelujah. Though they might not have been circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also, which is us. So here we have a sign of circumcision and a seal of the righteousness. So we're going to deal with the seal first. What is a seal here? What is a seal? Seal here is a token or proof of authenticity. So if you get a letter with a seal on it, it's, a, a, it, it's authentic, where it comes from where that person or a person's put a seal on it, it's a, 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 a token of authenticity. All right, now he set a seal on us. And what is the seal has, is he given to us? Well, let's look in 2 Corinthians 1.22. So we had a seal put on us, and God puts a seal on us. And these are the seals that God's put on us. Right, well, let's talk <laughs> Let's go in verse 21. It's a good read lots of these verses. It's 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. Now he which established us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is, is God, who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. So what's the seal? The seal is the earnest of the Holy Spirit with the seal of authenticity on your life. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it incredible? We see the same thing in Ephesians 1, verse 13. Oh, the other way. Ephesians 1, 13. Hallelujah. Right. Um, in whom ye also trust, he's talking about people who first trusted in Christ, 
about the, the, the first disciples, and in, in, in whom ye also trusted, he says to the Ephesians, after that ye heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after you believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is an earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Now the word earnest there means a down payment. But in fact, in new modern Greek, the same word means an engagement. It's the same word for an engagement. So we're engaged to be in heaven. <laughs> Not a toilet engagement. No, a different sort of engagement. There's an engagement. <laughs> Sorry. Um, we are engaged to be married. Now we're in the marriage feast in heaven. It's not here, but it's over there. But the engagement is here. Now, this is the earnest. We know, don't we? Because if we have the Holy Spirit, we know. Isn't that wonderful? This is the seal. Exactly the same way. What was the seal for? The seal for the circumcision was that he had faith by righteousness. Did you see that? It was a seal of the safe by righteousness. It was to show that he had faith by righteousness. That's why he was circumcised. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? Hallelujah. So, we have a seal, haven't we, of the Holy Spirit that proves, proves that we're God's child, whether we like it or not. You know, whether we've fallen away. I can remember when, I've said this before, we had a, a, a we got, filled with the Spirit and, and saved when I was in my teens. And in my 20s, I was going to get married and I moved to another house, to a house to get married, into another town, and this, that, and the other. And the whole thing fell off and I ended up on my own. No church. And I just thought, oh, I can't be bothered with all this. But I could still speak in tongues. <laughs> you see? Because it was still there. It never goes. It's a seal, you know. And eventually, the Holy Spirit brings you back. You can't run away from God. You can't run fast enough. Because <laughs> wherever you go, he's already there. <laughs> Isn't that a wonderful thing? That's my security in God. I've, not, I've tried to go away and run away. You can't run away from God. <laughs> he gets there before you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Look, it's, it's a couple of other seals which I'd like to, to look at. 2 Timothy 2.19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth true, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. So that's the seal that God knows that you're his. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? That God knows. So when you go to him, because you've got the seal of Jesus on you, he knows you're his. You can go and talk to him, have fellowship with him. Isn't that wonderful? The seal is really, really important. In 1 John 5.10, it says we have a witness in, a, in us, don't we? A witness in us. So we know the witness of the Spirit, the seal of God. We have this witness in the Spirit that we are the children of God. Wow! <laughs> so we know. Let's look in John, John chapter 13. John chapter 13, I love it, I love it. 
A new commandment I give unto you, verse 34, that you love one another as I have loved you, you should all love one another. By this shall all know that you're my disciples. The world will know that we're his disciples because we love. Where does that love come from? The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by working hard? No. By reading the Bible, by doing good works? No. By the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that gives us a witness. It's a witness to them. Isn't that a wonderful thing? This love of God is a witness to those out there. They can't understand it. They don't know why we love them, but we love them. Isn't it wonderful? It's a witness to them. So, it was, so the circumcision, you see, was a witness. All they had to do was go and see whether the person was circumcised, and you knew, didn't you? And so it's the same with us. Just look at someone, and they're full of the Holy Spirit. You know, you know. You know, you know, you know. The person knows, the church knows, and the world knows, and God knows. He set his seal on us of his Holy Spirit. Isn't that a wonderful thing? No. We saw also in that bit in, um, in Romans 4, he, that he, we, it is a token or a sign. That was a sign to anybody. A token. Now what does that mean? Well, a token is a proof, sorry, a, that by which a person is distinguished from others. So that's a sign or, a, or of a, a thing. So in, in the Old Testament, we have lots of tokens. He said, I'll set a token to Noah in the sky. That's the exact word he uses. I'll set a bow in the sky so you know, won't, so you know I won't flood the earth again. Isn't that a wonderful token? He said, I'll set my sign. He said, um, this sign, a virgin shall conceive a child. You see, you know the authenticity of who the person is coming by the sign. He said to the, to the um, shepherds, you, this is a sign. You find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. It's the same idea. Exactly the same idea. And Jesus gave the Pharisees, he said, I'll give you one sign. I'll give you the sign of Jonah. That he was in the whale three days. He was, he was in the earth for three days and three nights. And he came out, so will I. That was a sign. That was a sign to them. They knew, and they knew. Remember when, after he, would, he was killed, they said, he said he was going to rise again. You better make sure he doesn't. Well, that wasn't much good, was it? <laughs> God said there was a sign, and nothing was going to stop him. The sign that Jesus rose from the dead. That's a, you have a sign, a sign on our life. See, the sign is, is, is for something that's a reality. The authenticity of what the, so the seal show, shows you. But the, sign, the seal is a sign of something else inside the package. So seal is a sign. What is the sign? Well, let's look at this. Um, oh, yes. Well, we'll just go, can we just go back to Genesis 17? You'll notice at that point in chapter 17, verse 5, he changes Abraham's name. And he also, that's in verse 5, and in verse 15, he changes Sarah's name. Sarai's name. So it went from Abram to Abraham and to Sarai to Sarah. Now we all know that, is that it's the breath of God added into them that causes them. Now this was done 
before the circumcision. He changed them. He said, you, he talked about it, if you read, he talked about the circumcision. He talked to Abraham earlier on and said, I'm going to give you a new name. And then after that, he said, Sarah's going to have a child. And he changed her name to, to Sarah, to Sarah, you see. And you're interesting, you find immediately he starts calling him Abraham when he starts talking about the covenant. So we can see that something was going to happen around this, it was linked to the circumcision. The whole thing, the whole event there is linked to the, is linked to the circumcision. So the new birth here is talking about the new birth. And this is the thing that happens. Let's, wrote, let's read in Romans 8, 16. And we can see this, that the Spirit Let's start with the right first chapter 8, verse 15. We'll start at verse 15. For you have not received a spirit of bondage again to, to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. Now you'll notice in your Bible that the spirit of bondage is in little letters. The spirit of adoption is in big letters. That means that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of adoption, whereby we call Abba Father, and the spirit, again, the big spirit, big S, the Holy Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Hallelujah. So the spirit bears witness of something. We saw the spirit was the seal, but it bears witness of something else. The circumcision bear witness of something else that Abraham believed. You see, so the believing came first and then the seal, the circumcision came afterwards. So the so. It came after, the Spirit comes in after us. After he gets us born again, and he comes and lives in us. And that's what he's talking about. We can see that, look. Um, we saw earlier on, it said in Ephesians, ye believed earlier on, and then you were sealed. So this is the pattern, we believe, and then we're sealed. <laughs> so the token, the token that people might know what you are, the sign is the new life has to be. It has to be the new life. <laughs> Isn't it a wonderful thing? Hallelujah. It's this new life. It says um, in Colossians, let's look in Colossians 2. So we've seen that the Spirit shows what's going on inside our lives, that we have the new life of Christ in us. Colossians 2. 11. Now, this is an interesting little passage here where he talks about circumcision. And it says, For in him, I'll talk about Jesus here in verse 9, in Jesus dwelleth all the fullness of a Godhead bodily, and ye are complete, or better word, there is full, he, you have the fullness in him which is the head of all principality and power, in whom, that's in who, in Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands and putting off his body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism. Wherefore also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who have raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision in your flesh, have he quickened or made alive together with him, 
Have you forgiven all your transgressions? Wow! <laughs> he had to forgive us our transgressions first so he could deal with us. But he did, didn't he? <laughs> so you can see here, when I remember I spoke a little while ago, I talked about our union with Christ. He joined us to Christ. On the cross, we died with him. We saw that in, if you read in Romans 6. Um, we can see the same thing. We're buried with him, we're raised with him into newness of life. It's exactly the same picture. Here is, and he calls it circumcision. Before we called it being buried, and this time he calls it circumcision. Hallelujah. I, had, I did hear something, and I hadn't got a chance to check it, but I did read here that when a child is circumcised, they bury the foreskin in the soil. Now that's interesting, isn't it? See, we were buried, dead and buried in him. And we were raised in him. The old person we were, gone. Completely. We have newness of life. This is the newness of, this is the circumcision he's talking about. This cutting off of the old life. Hallelujah. Isn't that a wonderful picture? The cutting off of the old. Now this is not something you do. No, God, remember who said, I said, I'll do it. Isn't that a wonderful thing? <laughs> well, hallelujah. I, I love it. I love it. At the end of Galatians, remember Galatians is all about circumcision and the, the, they were having great problems with the, with the people at Galatia. It's the only time when he doesn't give any introduction, he goes straight in and says, who, who, who said these stupid things to you lot? Why are you believing this rubbish? And, he gives, and it's the only time he gives a little praise say at the end of what he's been talking about. So if we go right to the very end, He finishes a larger letter in verse, chapter 6, verse 11. He talks about how large a letter I've written unto you with my own hand. As many as desire... To, so that's the end of his little, what he's talking about. Now he's going to give a little praise say of what he's been saying. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution of the cross for Christ. So people who, who, who were, you know, they let the, had, the Jews were not going to, going to um, sort of start being aw- awkward against them and, and um, they, they were really you know, they were, the Jewish people were really really against anybody who wasn't circumcised, you weren't in the things you didn't do this, you can't do that you can't have this, not be circumcised you have to be circumcised and they were getting them to be circumcised now, but Paul says neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law but you desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh, that they glory that they, you, they've got you to be circumcised. But here's the verse. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. It's exactly the same picture as in Romans and in Colossians. We died with him and that cross. The whole world, we died to it. You died to it. You, did, you didn't do it. He said, Christ, God did it. As we saw that. For in Christ, neither circumcision avail of anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Oh, I love that. That's his, that's his praise say of the whole of, of, of Galatians. He says, nothing, nothing you, you can't even keep the law even if you are circumcised. Not, it's not one thing. The main thing is that you're born from heaven. You're born from above. And this is, this is the token we have with him. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? And that's why it says, very often, 
when Paul says to know the power of his death, the power of his resurrection, and the power of his suffering, being united with his suffering. And you'll see that so many different times, about he might know the reality of it in his life. And that's what we can know, the reality of our death and resurrection in Christ. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. It's all to do with what he's done. You see, many Christians, you t- listen to many sermons and are telling you what you should do. And they take Jesus as an idea. Well, Jesus said, do this, so you do that. Remember at uh, that w- the last war wedding we had, the chap was talking about, you've got to love everybody. Well, that's the most difficult thing, the most awful thing he could have ever asked you to do. Put you under the law of love. Because you can't do it. Without God, you can't do it. No, he said, you just have to love someone. It's what people say, oh, we just love people. But he said, no, that's not the way. You can't love people unless God has born you from heaven and put his spirit in you to cause you to love. It's an awful thing to tell people to do. They might think it sounds a good idea, and it does sound good on the surface. But when you un- un- get underneath it, you suddenly find that it's not such a good message <laughs> at all. The best message is that he died for me, and when he died, I died. When he rose from the dead, he raised me from the dead too. And he gave, and he had new life, he gave it to me too, and caused me to be born from heaven. And that is the wonderful thing. <laughs> so we, that's, why we get, that's why they had a new name. And God had breathed on them, just the same as he breathed in Adam. He breathed on them, and he breathed on us. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And we'll find that, it, as I said before, it isn't, wasn't, this, none of this was Abraham's idea. It was all God's idea. He said, I'll do it. I want you to do this. I want you to do this. I want, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You read in, in those lovely passages we looked at where he says, I'll give you a new heart. It's all I will, I will, I will. You see. And Abraham was asked to do these things because of what he had become. Not to do them to become. And that's really important. We do it because we are a new creation, not to get into it. <laughs> because he's put it in there. And when you, when you start thinking about this, it changes your whole view of yourself. Well, there's nothing in me but him. And he's the one who lives, not me. And Paul says it's not me, it's him. And Paul understood that. It is such a fantastic truth. But most Christians miss it by looking at Jesus just as a, an idea. But it's not an idea, it's reality. And we know it because we have the Spirit of God in us as this sign and a seal on our lives. Isn't it wonderful? Now, another thing we have about this is that circumcision is something that's hidden. Really. You don't know if you walk past somebody in the street whether they've been circumcised or not, because it's a hidden thing. It's a private thing. And so it is with us. He talks about the hidden man in 1 Peter. The hidden man. The inner man. The hidden man of the heart. Hallelujah. In Ephesians, look at Ephesians 3, 6. Well, I've just got Ephesians open here. See, at 3, 16. That... Right, he, he talks about that he will grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit, big S, in the inner man. It's the inner man. 
It's not the outward man, it's the inner man. It's in you. <laughs> Whatever you're like, it doesn't matter what you're like. I tell you what, even if you haven't bathed for six months, you're still clean before God. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? You see, a, a tramp can be as pure, pure and holy before God it's a person who, who thinks they're clean and holy. It's wonderful, isn't it? What God has done is put something in us. In the inner man. He says in Romans 2, 28. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision which is out within the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision of the heart. <laughs> We've had circumcision of the heart. You've had it done. <laughs> the knife of God has come upon your life and cut it off. Not in letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. You see? Changes the heart. People's, most people's praise is of men. But we have a praise, we get praise of God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Wow. Isn't that a wonderful thing that he's done for us? Hallelujah. And it's the one, um, it says in Philippians 3, we are the circumcision who worship him in the spirit. So you can see this, how it all, all these mentions of circumcision are the same idea. This is this spiritual thing that God has done to us. And it's something that's done by God. Let's go back. Well, in Deuteronomy 36, 30 verse 6, he said, I will circumcise your heart. This is something done by God to us. It's exactly the same thing as the breathing in of life. Adam never came alive by himself. God breathed into him. Jehovah knelt down and breathed into Adam. And he knelt down and he breathed into me. Oh, what a thing. What a thing. That the living God should come and breathe into me. His own spirit, his own life. What an incredible thing. And that he would do it Hallelujah. It's done by God. And if we see this, let's go back into our little passage in, about circumcision in, in uh, Exodus 17. Genesis 17. In verse 13, which we read. Well, in verse 11, he says, Ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. So he's talking to Abraham there. He says, you got to do it to yourself. That's what he's saying. But what was Abraham? Abraham, remember, why, why did he have circumcision? Because he was righteous, because of his faith. So here, Abraham is a picture of Christ. Because Christ is righteous. And he's a picture of Christ at this point. And he has to circumcise himself. So he laid his life down. Nobody took it from him. Nobody circumcised Jesus. Well, he did when he was a baby. 
but nobody laid, he laid his life down. They may have seemed to be have killed him, but he said he laid his life down. He did it voluntarily. And Adam, Abraham had to circumcise himself. And so in that way, he's a picture of Christ. But also, it says as we go on, he had to go and circumcise everybody else. And he circumcised us in the same way. Jesus circumcised us in the same way that Abraham circumcised everyone. Isn't that a, a fantastic picture? That he is a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament here. That he circumcised us. He caused us to die. We couldn't do it to ourselves, but we did it because he did it. In, we did it for us when he laid his life down and raised himself up. Isn't that a fantastic thing? He's a picture of Christ. And his whole household. So the household of faith of all the ones who've been circumcised. And that includes all of us in this room. If you're of the household of faith, you have been circumcised by God. Not something you have to do. Something he's done. You have the outworking of it. Oh yes. But the circumcision is something that God has done to you. And that is an incredible thing. Because it takes all the striving out of it. Because it's not about me. No, I do want to please God. But I do please God. Because he's pleased with Jesus. And I'm in Jesus, so he's pleased with me. Isn't that a fantastic thing that he's done? And also, in verse 13, he said, My covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. This circumcision was a picture of an everlasting covenant. Hallelujah. We have an everlasting covenant. When we believe, we have eternal life. We're saved eternally. He that believes, saved, eternal life we have. Have it now. You're living an eternal life already. When you die, all you're doing is, is shrugging off this and putting on the new life of heaven, which you already have. Your spirit, the person inside you, just gets a different body. Isn't that a fantastic thing? You, never, you won't die. I mean, nobody actually dies in a sense because the spirit lives forever. But this is a life in God, a new life, a new creation, not the same old creation, which all the other people are, which also goes on for eternity. The soul goes on forever. But we have a new life with him. And because we have the spirit, we know that it's a token of what's going to happen in the future that a sign, a seal that we're going to be in heaven with him we're going to, re, we're going to end up in heaven isn't that a wonderful thing so you wouldn't think that just by knowing that you can speak in tongues means that you're going to go to heaven you can only speak in tongues by the spirit it says so if you can speak in tongues by the Holy Spirit then you're going to heaven <laughs> isn't that a wonderful thing these, these things are so secure my salvation in him is so secure, nothing can change it. Nothing can change it because God did it. It's an everlasting covenant. An everlasting covenant is done with us. And it's a fruitful thing. Now this is the first thing I saw when I was reading this story a long while ago about, about the circumcision. Before this time, they were unfruitful. Weren't they? They'd, they'd obviously tried to have children and nothing had happened. Sarah was barren. And, and he gave, you know, we have Hagar and all that, all that mess. 
And once they were circumcised, he gave a promise. Let's look at that. He said, But my covenant will I establish with Isaac. He he said to Sarah, you'll have Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. So it was one year from that time. He said, in this year, you're going to have a child. Now that doesn't have a minute. So poor Abraham is going to get healed up first to start with. And he has all his, lots of other things going on. With Sodom and all that sort of stuff. But in that time, God keeps his promise. And they have a child. And this is the, it shows that there's, once you've been circumcised, fruitfulness comes to your life. It's a picture of the fruitfulness of God. We've become fruitful. People in the world are not fruitful in heaven, are they? They'll get there and they'll get the end of their lives and they'll have nothing. But we've built up a great cloud of, a load of glory and riches in Christ. We're fruitful. In, the, in our lives here, we have a fruitful life. A life of, of fullness, don't we? Because we've been circumcised. We've cut off all the rubbish that slowed us down and we walk free in God. And our lives become fruitful. Why? Because we're joined, again, another picture of joy, we're joined to that vine. And that vine bears fruit. And much fruit. And it also says that your fruit shall remain. Hallelujah. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Now, I've, I've done lots of work in my time, in my decorating, and many of the houses that I've decorated have been pulled down. I've been back round to do other jobs and redecorate. That type of work is not eternal, is it? But what we have in God and the fruitfulness of our lives in God as eternal. All the stuff we, we do for him and that he causes us to do, it's all eternal. Isn't that fantastic? It's a fantastic thing with this circumcision, that what he's done, he's joined us to himself. Our union with God through Christ Jesus is a fantastic truth that most Christians have never heard of. They don't really know about And we have a wonderful, wonderful thing. A wonderful, wonderful thing. A fruitfulness of God. Now, we could do a few more bits. I also want to have a quick look at Moses here in in Exodus chapter 4. And we've got time just to have a quick look at Moses. Moses, uh, in Exodus, sorry, Exodus 4, 24. Now Moses, God has spoken to Moses and he's on the way to Egypt. And something happens. It's a very interesting little story. And it came to pass by the way in the inn that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. (laughs) Wow. And then Zipporah, his wife, took a sharp stone or a knife and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it out of his feet and says, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. Now what an odd little story. But you see, this, this, this son, whose name was Gershom, his name, do you know what his name means? A stranger here. It means a stranger here. He was a stranger to the promise because 
he hadn't been circumcised. Moses hadn't circumcised him. So remember when we go back, he said that, that we, we've broken the covenant. If we don't circumcise our children, you've broken the covenant with me. So he was under the wrath of Abraham. Uh, Moses was under God's anger at that point. You haven't done what you should do. You know you should have done this. Obviously all the other people must have been circumcised. But why he didn't circumcise his first son, we have no idea. It might be because he was a stranger and he didn't, it, it was his firstborn son, but he didn't circumcise him. So Zipporah, his wife, came to do it for him, you see. And so this is what happens to us. We, the people in the world, have not been circumcised. They are still under the wrath of God, just like Moses was here. But Zipporah came and cut off the, uh, the foreskin of the son and God's wrath was assuaged. And so God's wrath has been assuaged from you because you've been circumcised by God. Isn't that a wonderful little picture? But there's another little lovely picture on the day of Passover in, in uh, chapter 12. All these little tiny pictures of what circumcision means to us are so precious because it's something he's done and brought us into. And we can enter into all those things and be in reality. In, in Exodus 12, 43 and 50. You remember we saw that Gershom, his name was a stranger. Look, and the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, this is in verse Exodus 12, 43, this is the ordinance of the Passover, there shall no stranger eat thereof. But every man's servant that is bought for money when he hath circumcised him, then he shall eat. Hallelujah. If we've been circumcised, we eat at his table. We eat of the lamb. We have a right to eat at God's table. What a fantastic thing. <laughs> Never go hungry. Never go hungry. Spiritually hungry. The manna stopped, but the lamb goes on forever. It's an eternal food. The bread of life. Jesus, the bread of life. Our lamb who feeds us forever. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Isn't that a wonderful thing? Because we can now feed on the lamb. But not only that, we can enter in to all the promises of God. Now remember, when they were coming into the promised land, what he said to Joshua. He said, you've got to circumcise them all. Before you can enter in, that's in uh, Joshua. Joshua 5, 2 to 9. And he tells them that he needs to circumcise all of them before they cross over Jordan to go in. Why was that? Because they had been disobedient. It's one of their other disobediences which we don't really hear about much in the wilderness that they disobeyed and they didn't circumcise their children. All these ones who had been born in the wilderness. So they were all circumcised. And so circumcision means that we can enter in to the promised land. We have to be circumcised to enter into all the promises of God. So you, because you've been circumcised, you can enter into all the promises of God. You can enter into the new, the new land of God. You can enter into this promised land, into, the, into Jordan, and cross over Jordan and enter in. And you can feast and have all the benefits of this new kingdom which you've entered into. And that's a wonderful picture, isn't it, for us? Because you've been circumcised, you can enter in. So today, I want you to rejoice in your circumcision. Whether you're a man or a woman. <laughs> you
You've all been circumcised by Jesus to enter into all these blessings which he's given to us. Isn't that a fantastic picture? I hadn't realised that as I started. I thought, wow, I hadn't seen that before. I hadn't seen that before. Isn't he wonderful, this God of ours? That he causes us to enter into so much. And it's all done by him. And it's all his idea. So if his idea, then there's no point in me saying, oh, God doesn't love me today. I don't feel like... It's nothing to do with it. You see, a person who's circumcised looks at himself and says, well, I'm, I'm still a Jew. I'm still under the promises of God, whatever I feel like, whatever my situation's like, whatever's happening, however sick I feel, however hard things are, however much money I have or haven't got, it doesn't matter. If you've been circumcised, you can see it. You have the witness in you, the Spirit of God in you, and the new life in you. And you know, whatever happens, it don't really matter. Because we're going to glory with him. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. We give you glory and praise. We just praise you. That's why we sing all these wonderful songs about you, Jesus, because you have set us free from ourselves. It was the biggest problem we had. And you set us free to live in a kingdom with you. We thank you, Jesus for what you've done for us. And we give you all the glory, all the praise, and our minds are just boggling at what you've done for us. We can't even contain our thoughts to you of thankfulness and gratefulness for what you've done. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.